Light beer, dark money. Agree on something. Politics, culture, and the intersection of faith, freedom, and free enterprise. And now, here are your hosts, Light Beer, Chris Clements, and Dark Money, Sean Noble. Welcome back to another episode of Light Beer, Dark Money. I'm Sean Noble. And I'm Chris Clements, and Happy New Year. Yeah. To those who are listening in in the new year. In the new year. 2022. Here we are. Yeah. Can you believe it? We have today a very special guest, a good friend of ours, someone that we've both known for more more time than we probably want to admit. <laughs> it's, been, it's been kind of the theme of the last couple of shows. We've, right. known, we've been bringing on people we've known for yeah. decades. So we have Glenn Hammer. He was, as uh, a lot of our listeners will know, the uh, the head of the Arizona Chamber, the CEO of the Arizona Chamber for many years. He's now uh, moved on to Texas to He's be left us. the He's president and CEO of the Texas Association of Business, which is, I guess, the, the equivalent of the Arizona Chamber, but you know, yeah. just a little bit bigger. As I, as I said earlier, it's the uh, Arizona Chamber on and steroids. Yeah, so, well, everything's bigger in Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. Well, Glenn, welcome. Thank you for being here. It's great to see great. you. Well, great, great to be on the show. And yeah, no, I've known both of you for a number of years and geez i mean sean we go back to the 1994 days where that's right <laughs> john john chaddock has his wids kid named sean noble uh well, i was uh a oh my gosh i'm gonna start using that <laughs> whiz kid it's true it's true he's st- sean stood out uh back 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 then and and the results were pretty pretty incredible well, yeah. I, you know, you think about the, that cycle, the 94 cycle, because you were doing, were you with Kyle or Salmon at that point? I was, I was with Kyle. Kyle, that's so right. So I was, uh, you know, I, I joke, uh, our good friend Jake Logan, who was the lowest on the totem pole. I, I think I was, <laughs> but Jake argues he was. Uh, I, I think I make better coffee than Jake for what that's <laughs> worth. But yeah, that 94 cycle, I mean, you just think about the people that came out of it. And now my friend from Texas, Starley Coleman, she mm. came out of the 94 yep. race. So a lot of, a lot of good people. It was a, it would, there, I feel like there was a whole passel of young, talented men and women who were, who cut their, I mean, there was just so much going on in that cycle. Well, and, we, we, we kind of did a podcast about that yeah, some months we ago. Uh, we, we commented and, and reflected on, on a year in our, in our lives that just meant so much to us, both personally and politically. In 94, 94 was it. Was it. And I think so. And, and where I think it's relevant to today is that that spirit in 94, we weren't in it for the money. We were in it because we believed the contract with America. We believed that there was a better way to govern the United States of America. And it was, I, I felt like we were all on a mission. We were maybe with different people to accomplish that mission, but there were, we were united. Yeah. Well, and it, it, you know, the, the connection of, of the various members of the delegation who got elected, uh, you know, you had Shattig and Hayworth and Salmon were all elected that, that cycle along with Kyle to the Senate. Yeah. And, uh, that was probably one of the most exciting things. It was, it was amazing. And, uh, Glenn, you did Kyle's Senate campaign, uh, and worked for the Senator. Then you went on to work for, for, uh, Matt Salmon. I worked, I worked for Matt. I was legislative assistant for Senator Kyle and worked, uh, worked for Matt as his legislative director ending, uh, as chief of staff. And I know you worked for a number of years as John Shattuck's uh, chief of staff. But I'll tell you, Sean, that that walk from the Senate to the House—that's the longest walk in showbiz. <laughs> what, what, it, it's true. It, it's, it's a true. long walk if you do it actually outside. But if you know the inner workings of the corridors back then, it's, you can do it fairly. It's quickly. still a long walk. Yeah. I mean, I felt like yeah, it was no, a long walk from Keenan uh, to Long to Hay to Raymer. <clears throat> maybe not literally. More just the uh, there's quite a quite a difference between the two bodies, but. Yeah. Uh, well, the problem but with the, the, the walk from Cannon to, to Rayburn is that once you get there, you still don't know where you <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah, Rayburn, I never figured out. And I don't know, Glenn, you might have figured it out, but I think... Not not really. I mean, Cannon was kind of the... Matt was in Cannon, right? Matt was in Cannon, yeah. First for, first floor. So uh, it, it reduced the chances of getting lost. And it also 
maximized it it made it easier to to vote a little bit it was pretty yeah. always pretty close to well, the floor so we could we could we could really uh, risk things and and have them go up last second I, I remember. So at the time, Bob Stump was the dean of the delegation. Of course he was. And uh, Bob Stump is still the dean of the dele- yeah. <laughs> delegation. I mean, God rest his soul. Well, I mean, you mentioned um, his name and people just pause. So yeah. So it's a good thing. But he uh, he was uh, had a, an amazing voting record in the sense that he never yeah. missed a vote. Um, and I remember a few months into Shattuck's first term, he was there were a couple times where it was close. And he was having a conversation with Senator Kyle and Senator Kyle was like, look, you just need to miss a vote because it's going to drive you crazy until you do, because there's going to be times because Shattuck at the time had young, you know, Stephen and Courtney yeah. were fairly young. They're in school. He said, you're going to have to miss votes at some point. So you may as well just miss a vote. And, and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. And Shattuck didn't really take that advice, but he ended up missing a vote just, and I don't remember the exact circumstances, but he was, in he was on the hill, and somehow missed a vote. Yeah, and so it was done. But uh, <laughs> I don't even know why I brought that up. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's a big for, for the newer members. They want to make the votes. They're they're excited to to be there, and those streaks and records mean something. But then you learn that you know you, you talk about forecasting. If I wanted to look dumb for a day, I'd call leadership and ask what the vote schedule would be. Tell. Tell Matt Savage, <laughs> right. and then five minutes later, it'd be completely different. That's exactly. And that would right. be like, I thought you called. I said I did call. You know. <laughs> well, and but, it's and not only leadership, but that was true of committee staff as well. Yeah. Um, and and I I was staffing Shattuck on government reform and oversight during the Clinton investigations, and we had a really important subpoena vote on somebody they were going to subpoena. Shattuck was at resources committee and I kept, you know, checking with staff. When's the vote? When's the vote? You know, he's going to have to get over here because that uh, hearing room was in uh, Rayburn and he was in Cannon for resources. And sure enough, they just flat out didn't, you know, they changed it. And so they immediately, all of a sudden they call a vote and I'm scrambling to try to, you know, get the, the congressman there. And he ended up missing the vote. And man, I got my I bet, ass yeah. chewed. Oh, I can only Not imagine. First by Dan Burton, the chairman, for letting my member miss the vote. And, it, and I'll never forget Dave Bossy standing next to him because Dave Bossy oh, was, uh, was a staffer for the committee at the time. And he's just kind of like chuckling like, whoa, this guy's getting his butt kicked. And then Shattuck pulls me in and, and I heard it. Yeah. And uh, I never let that well, happen again. Well, and I'll, I'll just tell it a side story because, you know, we were we were we were just young staffers and learning, learning our way. So That's I right. worked on the Kyle for Senate campaign and you always call him John when you're running for office. The second he wins, it's senator. And it just felt natural. But but I, I didn't necessarily make all the adjustments as, as a youngster when I got on Capitol Hill. And I'll never forget, we go to the one of the first meetings I'm staffing Senator Kyle and I sit basically in Senator Warner's chair. <laughs> and that was, and, and Kyle could not have been more gracious, but it was just sort of looking at me like, you know, look at the other staffers. The goal is to blend in to the upholstery basically. And from that point I learned, you know, the Bob to Dole, the, the light blue heard. shirt, the, the suit, just, and stay as close to the wall as possible. Exactly. There is a, I'll tell you that there's a lot of you know a lot of staffers who spent their life with their back against the wall. Well, and, <laughs> and you know it was it's it's an interesting but, lesson that a lot of people both in business and in politics in general don't understand. Like the staff are the people who are running, you know, the office. The staff are, is getting the member to where the member needs to be. And if you have an objective and you want to achieve you know, accomplish something as a business person or as a lobbyist who's trying to get a member to do something for you. The key is <laughs> the staff and the key is to taking care of the staff. And I've, I, I just remember, you know, a lot of people just don't recognize that when they go into a member's office and they end up treating the staff really poorly. Yeah. yeah. And then they wonder why they can't get anything done. Right. Chris, a, a, exactly, exactly right. It, it is just because the volume of activity on Capitol Hill is difficult to explain unless you've been in it. It's just, sure. it moves like an action movie. It's NFL speed all the time. And 
without great staff, I don't care who you are, it simply is impossible to be an effective member. So when you have people that co, it's a great tip for anyone that wants to advocate uh, with a congressional member. Be, just be nice to everyone. Yeah. And and your chances of success, it's the right thing to do, but your chances of success are dramatically escalated because at the end of the day, the member is going to probably ask the staffer in charge what his or her recommendation is. Exactly. And always follow up with that staffer who's sitting in the meeting with you where you're pitching whatever you're pitching. Yep. And, um, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you guys, and back then, for me, I was living vicariously through you, wanting to be in Washington, but being in Tucson, you know, learning the the beer business. But but would go back to D.C. every every fall and 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 spring, and be you know in members' offices lobbying for whatever the National Beer Wholesalers had on the docket at the time, and I would have to educate everybody around me. Okay, get get that staffer's card and write to them and thank them specifically. You can th- thank the member, but thank them and then offer whatever you want to offer them. Well, and then, <laughs> you know, and, and free beer or whatever else, because they'll appreciate it. Yeah. Here's, here's the best advice I can give to anybody that's going to meet with a member of Congress or needs to have, get something done. Treat the scheduler oh. like gold. Oh yeah. Because that is, that is the most important person in the office. Absolutely. They may not be the highest paid, but they are by far the most important person yeah, in the office. Absolutely. Thank them. Ask them where they're from. Ask them yeah. what they're doing. Be kind. Because I can't tell you how many times I've, I've just been waiting to, to see a member. And these, uh, these associations come in and they're just so rude to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and they wonder why they're out in the hallway meeting with a you know with an LA <laughs> right. Right. at the end of the day exactly. So Glenn, what uh, talk to us about moving from yeah? How many you were what 12, 13 years at chamber? It feels like twenty, but maybe it was less than that. I feel like I don't 20. Know. 14, <laughs> 14, 14 years. Fourteen years. That's amazing. That's how long I worked for Shattuck. That's incredible. Really? Yeah. It, well. And probably like for you, Sean, it, it went by really, really fast. It was there was always something new on the horizon that kept things lively and interesting. You worked for a great member of con- uh, Congress. I worked for a great organization. But you know, I, I think really what happened it was uh, I loved being in Arizona. Uh, my family still loves being in Arizona. They've read too much Arizona Chamber propaganda, apparently. <laughs> but that's another story but the the job in texas just came out of nowhere and it just felt like it was the right thing to go to go for and i also just felt on the other side of the equation 14 14 years at one chamber is a long time it, yeah. it's it's really too long and sean i don't and i know how your career has soared post shattig i hope i have that same uh, fortune in texas but it felt right on both sides. The move to Texas felt right, as well as it was time to give the Arizona Chamber the chance to reset and get uh, some fresh blood. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful that my good friend Danny Sidon is is running the show over there uh, now. Yeah. So still, it was a huge loss. Oh, for it was Arizona. a huge loss. Yeah. There's, I mean, because you because have huge before, shoes to fill. There's, I, I mean, mean, your shoes are. You may not be a very large person, but your shoes are massive. <laughs> but, well, I have a hook shot that makes me seven foot equivalent, that's right. but I need it. Well, I, 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 I think in, in, in terms of the politics of business in Arizona and, and the, you know, just general politics, I think there's, there's two people who I look to in, in the state who are very consequential during their specific times at the organization they led. One is you. Because before before you leading the chamber, the chamber really wasn't much of anything. It yeah. was it was a confluence of just big business, and that that didn't really do much and didn't really I don't think accomplish much. The other one is Darcy Olson when she ran Goldwater. Mm-hmm. I think I mean before before Darcy Goldwater just it it wasn't much of anything, and and so and, and what's interesting, both well, of you really first. made a, a massive impact on both those organizations, and you deserve a lot of credit. Well, Chris, I want to thank you. You served you served on our board. I mean, you were you were a big part of that, and I really think the secret sauce it, at the Arizona Chamber it was it was really a great board of yeah. different interests, different sizes of businesses, and it just sort of sorted itself out. And we had a great team. You know, uh, Garrett Taylor did did a phenomenal job. 
And Garrick was with me three stops with Max Salmon when Sean right. was on Capitol Hill at the state Republican Party uh, 2006-ish and, and at the state chamber. So, you know, having, having great people there uh, as well was, was really important. So well, talk to us about what, uh, you know, you made the transition to Texas. Uh, how are, you know, what, what are your goals? What, what's going on in Texas? What are the similarities, the differences between Arizona and Texas? Um, so obviously, 30, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Scott, I'm sorry for cutting you off. Go ahead. No, I, I have nothing. I'm, what I have to say is way less important than what you have to say. So <laughs> if I could, if I could frame it this way, uh, first of all, uh, everyone I've met in Texas, they love Arizona. So coming from Arizona was a big plus. Like if I, if I said, you know, coming from New York or, uh, where I grew up or California, where we all, where I am, uh, right now, actually, even despite my background, this is where my in-laws live, uh, <laughs> I, I would have been looked at a different way. But the best way to think about Texas right now is it is the it is the center of the free market system, but also for those who are conservative. And I'll just say Republicans. We're all Republicans here, uh, although at Chambers, you're the party of business. But I think we all know our voter ID cards. This Texas is the center of the universe right now for Republicans. It's a yeah. little bit like California was during the Reagan heydays. And I sometimes joke, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida, not Texas, but he's in Texas quite a bit. <laughs> and and uh, so are other aspiring uh, national candidates, uh, because that's just where the center of gravity is uh, at this point in time. What uh, I mean, I think you're right. It's it, there's just a lot of good stuff that comes out of Texas. Um, and so many people are moving. there. I mean, obviously, we have the, the you know, it's the fastest growing state. Uh, Arizona's, I think, third. Is it? Is it Texas, Florida, Arizona? Is that and exactly. Tennessee? And Tennessee's in there too. Yeah. Texas, uh, Texas, Florida, Arizona are the big three. You know, they're during the first year of the pandemic, July twenty to July twenty one. Those three states gained more people than any other state, and the three big losers. I mean, you can't write this stuff. <laughs> New York. California and Illinois, all yeah. policy basket cases. Yeah. That's and, a disgrace. And Sean and Chris, I mean, look, I love Arizona. I think the desert is magical. It's almost religious. But people from Los Angeles are not moving from Los Angeles to Phoenix for the beachfront property. Yeah, right. exactly. You know, there's something going on policy wise. And that's why I think the work that you two are doing and that I'm I'm trying to do uh is, is so darn important because there are really two systems. There are two, if I could just go with my, my big spiel is this. There's two big battles going on. One is uh, international. It's the U.S. versus China. Sure. And the U.S. has got to win if we want to keep a, a free world and a free, a free, safe society. And within the United States is California versus Texas. And Texas has got to win. And it's really that simple. And, you know, states like Arizona and Florida, uh, thank goodness, uh, are really wired along the ways of, of, of Texas. And that's why I think human beings in the freest country in the history of the world are, are, are moving to, to our great states. Yeah, they're they're voting with their feet. For yeah, sure. and but there is one issue that I that you, you're beginning to hear a lot of and, and a concern is how do you reeducate or educate? those people moving from California, Illinois, New York to remember why they moved, you know, to remember that yeah. you're, you're fleeing a high tax, high regulatory, almost a failed nation state in, in many ways. Um, the policies that have come out of Florida, Texas, Arizona with regard to COVID have been very moderating. And, and so remember why you moved. And, and that's, that's something here in Arizona. We're really, uh, trying to focus on is is educating um, newcomers about why Arizona is the way it is, which is not just a conservative state, but even a contrarian state. We we do things our own way here. Well, the gravitational pull of California is 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 a significant problem uh, for for Arizona. There's no doubt about it, and we've seen it with some of the ballot uh, initiatives. And 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 make no mistake, I mean there are. 
people worth well over 100 million. I'll even say probably some billionaires that have moved from Arizona to Texas because Texas has zero income tax. Zero is nice. And you think about Elon Musk. Musk could afford to live anywhere on the planet. And he's living in Austin. And Mm. I I, I am fairly certain the zero income tax is, is a helpful consideration. Now, light regulatory touch, a lot of talent, uh, great airports, all that kind of stuff. That that's important as well. But that zero income tax, you know, Governor Ducey was right from day one that the goal in Arizona should always be to get that income tax as close to zero as as possible. And it's very important for the state for that two and a half percent flat tax to stick, because if it doesn't, there will be an exodus of successful business people from Arizona, state I love. Uh, to to Texas, yeah, they're just. Uh, but uh, you know, I I think that there is a difference, though, Chris and Sean. If you're moving to Texas from California, it is a further move. You could literally fall out of bed and be. Uh, fr- you could come from California and be in Arizona, so it's very easy. You could keep your political beliefs and pay a lot less in taxes. Sure. If you're making that move to from California to to Texas, something else is going on. And you think about Elon Musk, you think about Joe Lonsdale, you think about some of these guys, they're not just coming to Texas, they're coming with the, uh, I'd argue the conviction of a convert that they will never let the state of Texas as far as they can uh, uh, direct things become what California has. Yeah. Because they've they've left for a very real reason. Well, and and in Musk's example he brought a lot of stuff with him i'm mean, building a gigafactory to for the the cyber truck and and batteries and you know i mean it's he's he's put his money where his mouth is for sure on the move well and he's becoming more vocal too which is something he wasn't before as yeah. much and in terms of why he's left and and the policies that need to be pursued for for businesses to thrive and it's right. not happening in california <clears throat> right and, and it's a much more robust environment uh, for free speech. You know, the, the woke mm. cultural culture, the cancel culture, Texas is. So, so the big thing that has surprised me most about Texas is I was misinformed. Uh, it's not a state. It is a country. I mean, they knew that <laughs> since they since inception. Right. I mean, they, they've they've said the great the great the great Republic country, of Texas, the great Republic of Texas. Right. It's but it really is how it's it's not. You, you think about Arizona and, you know, Phoenix and Tucson, you've got 70, 80 percent of the economic activity. That's sure. just not the case in in, in Texas. Sure. I mean, you have. You, you have Houston, you have the Dallas area, you have San Antonio, and then you have, you know, El Paso, and you have some of the things going on in, in, La, in Laredo, which I think is the largest inland port in America. So you've got, you've got a lot of uh, industry and diversity that's spread out across a, just a huge geographic territory. Yeah, you've been doing quite a bit of traveling around Texas, and you've been posting some some. Some great, great posts. Tell us a little bit about that. What, have, what has been some of the most interesting places that you've traveled to? You've been eating lots of barbecue. I've seen that on, on some of your Instagram. <laughs> well, all right. Now now I'm going to get into trouble. So this is going to be the only negative thing I'm going to say. Oh, no. <laughs> no. And, and it's through. I'm, I'm even going to bring up a name. It's all Mike Paranzino's fault. So that's a blast. It's <laughs> so funny. I was, talking, I will, I was thinking I about Mike Paranzino earlier today. <laughs> I well, I move out to Arizona, you know, from New York. I hear, okay, you've got to try Arizona barbecue. I try it. I'm not going to say which place. It was nothing to write home about. I take a 25-year moratorium from barbecue. <laughs> I go to Texas. People are like, and our friend Matt Ladner, you know, the great, yep. I think the best school choice yep. guy in America, says, Glenn, you've got to try some of these different barbecue places. I'm like, Matt, I've been there. I've done that. But I try it, and it's the best stuff ever. Oh, so yeah. I go on a little bit of a barbecue <laughs> Uh, binge, if you will. <laughs> I was I watching to... it and I was like, this is amazing. He's going to all these great places. This is an adverti- just an advertisement for Texas barbecue. And it's real. It's just so good. No matter where you go, it's just people take it really seriously. And, and all the places are different. They have their own ambience. So ambience. So, you know, the food in Texas is, is really great. The, the other thing, and this is a lot like Arizona, people are incredibly friendly. Yeah. You know, as a guy who comes from New York, it's th- it sticks out. The difference in Texas and Arizona is simply this, in my opinion. 
the roots are deeper in Texas. Mm. You know, there's just so many people I've met, fifth, sixth, seventh generation. And I've been in rooms with seven, eight people, and I'm the only non-native. And that never happened yeah, in Arizona. Not a true. bad thing, but it never, never happened in Arizona. So the people are maybe a little bit more vested generationally in Texas. Arizona, I think, will get there over time. But it's just sort of an interesting fact. Yeah, you're right. It's there's very few of us that are native Arizonans. Um, well, you're talking. You're talking to two of them. <laughs> two, wow. of, two, of the four, two, two of the five. Yeah, <laughs> that's unusual. Yeah. I guess everywhere I go, I'm not native. No, when uh, I when I tell people I'm like fourth, fifth generation Arizona, they look at me like I have two heads. I'm yeah, like, really? Yeah. So it's well, uh, it's, it's, it's also a source of pride. But it needs. It, you're right. It needs to be something that that the state um, becomes. Yeah. So uh, well, I think and I think Ducey's done a pretty good job. Not only is he attracting talent yeah. and people and industry, but I think there's more opportunities now to, to keep people in Arizona. Yeah, that's 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 was the knock for a long time is that we would import all this talent by virtue of our universities and then everyone and would, leave. would leave. Yeah. And now people are staying. Yeah. Which is which is a good thing. I would well, I, I would correct you on one thing is that some people think that 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 Tucson is an entire different country all by itself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, within Arizona. Well, I Arizona. learned Chris early early on that it was less offensive when I when I would speak at Tucson to say I'm from New York than I than I was from <laughs> yeah, because the great right. state of Maricopa. You can, I learned that you a long say, time ago. In Tucson you can say I'm from Chicago or New York and people give you a standing ovation. Yeah. If you say you're from yeah. the great state of Maricopa they 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 walk out of the building. Booyah, I'm here from next. I'm here to help. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> right. never ended well. Uh, well, what do you see on the horizon for Texas? You're leading, you know, the biggest business organization there, which is pretty remarkable. Um, what what what's going what's 2022 going to look like in Texas? We can get into some other 2022 outlooks and predictions sure. if you want. Yeah, I, th I think that the the major threats to Texas and Arizona are from Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, thank God the quote-unquote build back better bill, which is was really just a, an inflation-fueled mess boondoggle, uh, is a, off the table for, for now. So, you know, hi, higher taxes, more regulations. I think the energy side is, is a really important one. And this is one where you know, the, there are some differences between the states and in Arizona and Texas. I mean, Texas is the largest you know, producer of oil, of, of gas. Uh, and, and then if some of the, you know, more renewable type fuels, Texas is way up there on wind, solar, hydrogen. But the oil and gas part is, is very important and not just for Texans. I mean, you know, 97 percent of the vehicles out there, at least, are still running on gas, on regular, you know, oil that's converted into into gasoline. Uh, the energy policies of the Biden administration are a real threat to the American economy. And when you have a president that's out there begging to OPEC to pump more and yeah. is saying yes to Nord Stream 2 to, to give the Russians something while he's saying no to Keystone, uh, we, we, need to, we need to think about that. Because I, I think that that's, uh, you think about manufacturing, you think about all of these industries that are a big deal to Arizona and Texas, uh, having affordable energy. And yes, having it less carbon, all things being considered, that is better. But ha but, but we still need a supply of affordable, stable uh, energy. Totally agree. Yeah. That's, that's really timely because we just had uh, uh, Drew Bond and, and John Hart on the podcast this, this last week, Par C3. Um, solutions talking about how free economies actually are cleaner economies and the and and you're going to be seeing that in the states for sure and and texas well, is a perfect example of that chris i appreciate yeah exactly more uh advanced economies we're not burning cow dung right. you know, they get our places so economic you're absolutely right i think the other area and this is a positive area of that will require bipartisan uh, uh, cooperation is in chips, semiconductors. Mm. And that's an area where uh, Arizona and Texas, we are the we are the we are the leaders in the United States of America. You know, Arizona, TSMC and Intel, uh, Texas now, uh, Samsung and Texas Instruments, instruments being the big announcements uh, in the past calendar year. 
Uh, and I'll just say, I think for the competitiveness of the United States, when you think of these advanced manufacturing chips that power AI, that power uh, products that go into space, that, that, that have to do with cyber, uh, the United States needs to be the world leader in advanced chips as well as energy production. I think those are two prerequisites to being uh, the dominant force in the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, I totally point. agree. We're really blessed to have Intel here in, in in the Valley, and I don't think I've ever seen a year without a crane out at that plant, <laughs> yeah. Chandler. There's yeah. always multiple cranes out there, which is good. The, the, the time we don't see a crane out there, I think we need to be worried. Yeah, no question. So uh, let's let's get into a little bit of predictions for 2022. Oh yeah. Um, I any any probably not much of a surprise. I guess Texas is the redistricting done there. Sean, the redistricting is done, and the congressional delegation will go from 36 to 38. Uh, so that's that's going to be uh, a powerful delegation is going to become more powerful. As an interesting aside, there's 31 state senators in texas and there'll be 38 hmm. members of the house so wow. it's a you know again when i say republic of texas country of texas the state senators in texas have an incredible amount of pot but yeah. if you're going to wow. say global uh predictions i i i'm going to say it right here it's maybe it's a little bit easier to say uh with the texas hat uh the u.s senate's going to flip the u.s house is going to flip I think Senator Kelly will be retired and he's going to make Senator Sinema look a lot smarter in terms of the type of senator that has the potential no on question. the Democratic side, if she remains a Democrat, to, to be elected in the state of Arizona. But I think both bodies will flip. And I think because of the mismanagement of the Biden administration on just about everything, again, I don't want to be too political, even though we're all sort of politicos in one way or another. But this has been, uh, it, it's been a bad bad, bad, bad year across the board. I, I don't know if you could point to a single area that the Biden administration has really done a good job on. That That's just, I, I and, and look, if I were, if you forced me, I'd say going back to our days on Capitol Hill, that I'm going to say it on the show, that Bill Clinton was a good president. Well, in comparison, absolutely. I mean, it, it it's astounding to me. I mean, I, I pine for the days of Obama. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it is with Biden. Yeah. And and I think there you're right. There was a higher level of competence yeah. in that administration. No question. Period. Well, and it's, and it's there was a, a recognition that there was a way to push back on the left. I mean, Biden and the people around him just won't push back hard enough against the left and this, this hard progressive push to the left. And it's going to it's gonna catch up to him in a way that I don't think they recognize because – uh, you know, with redistricting in Texas, you're going to pick up a couple Republican seats. Yeah. I think here in Arizona, we're going to go from a five-four delegation, de- uh, five-four Democrat delegation to a six-three Republican delegation. Yeah, based on what that's we saw last big, week, yeah. that's a pretty big uh, switch. And so, I would say that the House, U.S. House, is probably going to be Republican by fifteen to twenty seats, maybe even more. Uh, Senate, fifty-two, fifty-three Republicans is my guess. At this point, I, I agree with you. I think Kelly is is gone. I, I am shocked that he is not. Where, where com- is Mark where Kelly? Is Mark where Kelly? is Mark Kelly? Has anybody seen him? <laughs> Out in, I, he, you know, I hear he's in Texas. <laughs> I hear he's in Houston, he's in Houston to Houston, be exact. I think people should check for his residence in Houston, Texas. The, Maybe uh, he's campaigning with Beto. I don't uh, know. Perhaps. But I, you know, I, I, I'm, I've been shocked that he hasn't just completely hugged himself close. And I've said this before at a cinema. I mean, talk about the the roadmap for reelection. And yeah. he just, well, I, I think he just thinks he's smarter or above mm-hmm. it. I don't know. Now, I, cinema can count. That's I've well, said. Well, she's just she's a very bright. She knows. She knows smart who politician. Her. But uh, I, I think I'll give her a lot of credit, too. I think she she really cares about the governing part. You know, I've known her for a number of years when she was in the Arizona legislature. She she worked very hard to develop strong relationships across the aisle. And she has continued that uh, in the United States Congress. And look, we, we do need more of that, because even if we could go back to the 90s heyday, you know, it was Newt, Bob Dole, and Bill Clinton. And I can recall being at an APAC event in the late 90s with, where Frank Luntz had the floor, 500 people, 
you know, center right, center left audience, nothing too extreme on either side. He asked people, how many people here today feel that they're better off today than four years ago? Every hand went up in that room. And when was the last time that happened in the United States of America? It was probably about at that moment. Yeah. 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 I think that's probably true. One, one, one thing I wanted to ask you, Glenn, and one thing we've, we've been looking at here in the state is you're seeing a tremendous amount of Hispanic surge within the Republican Party in, in, in Texas, and, and, and especially along the border in terms of what's happening in the border. Do you, you want to comment on that a little bit? There is a real transformation going on. So what's happening, uh, particularly in rural border areas in, in Texas, uh, I, could, I, could, I could say this with, with pretty strong conviction, is there is a migration from uh, uh, Hispanic Texans in border communities voting Democratic to voting a Republican. You know, there's a new mayor, McAllen, yeah. a very heavily uh, Hispanic uh, city. Uh, we're Republican, just one. And we've got a great uh, young congressman, uh, Tony Gonzalez, who's doing an excellent job in, in Texas. And, uh, you know, he's in the Will Hurd seat. Very few people probably thought that he had a great chance in 2020, but he won with a nice margin. And I would bet the farm his reelection will have an even greater margin. So there's a, mi- there's a migration. And I think it's because... Mm-hmm. You know, it's as Sean and Chris, it's what you were sort of saying earlier, is that the the energy in the Democratic Party isn't just left. It is radical left. And that's not something that plays well in any part of rural America today, regardless of what the demographics may be. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a it's a it's a party that's based in California, Illinois and New York. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the problem that they're having. Yeah, but they they failed to recognize it, and and, and and now it seems like they're almost recognizing it too late. You had the the governor of Connecticut this last week back off of his statewide mask mandate because he claimed it's not working in the, in in the city of New York. But I, I think you're going to see a lot of Democratic governors kind of look around the landscape, and we've said it on the show before in terms of our own delegation. When when does a Greg Stanton or a Mark Kelly finally look around them and realize they? They've got nothing. They they have nothing to run on. Yeah. In terms of COVID well, policy, immigration policy, tax policy, build back broke, you name it, the the president has left them empty to, and, and an open target, well, especially it, with it redistricting. Is, uh, well, I, 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 I agree. And I mean, the, 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 you know, again, you take a look at where we are, uh, at the end of at the end of 2021, uh, you have a, a president that has completely abandoned the center of the country. You know, I think that Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema gave Biden the greatest Christmas gift ever in killing the 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 you know whatever you want to call that monstrosity <laughs> that five trillion dollar bill, but also giving him a, a transportation victory, a 1.2 trillion dollar victory. That's right. not chopped liver. Yeah. But instead of instead of talking about that and and some of the areas of infrastructure that are pretty popular on both sides of the aisle, the administration has just double tripled down on a on a package that mm-hmm. would, if anything, it would do harm. We all we we all know that inflation is real, and it's it's just I, I'm I'm just simply perplexed by it. So, do you think reading? I mean, another prediction. Do you think that, that the threat that Chuck Schumer has right now to actually hold a vote on this is, is real? Or do you think it's just smoke and mirrors just to, just to, just to outflank AOC on his, on his left? I, I think there will be a vote on something. I, I still have a suspicion that there will be uh, some sort of BBB that comes back in a very modified form. I, I just I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I don't think he's just going to put that vote, that bill up and just see it fail. I think Manchin and Cinema that there will be they will coalesce on something. It, mm. it might be on, you know, a very slimmed down version, but I, I'd be surprised if it just is put up in its current 
form and just goes down. I, yeah. I don't know. What, what do you guys? Well, think? I, I I think that I I think we can learn a lot from from what happened with Obamacare. Sure, they used reconciliation to pass that. Um, there was insane arm twisting to get to that, you know, in the House especially because you know moderate Democrats realized that this was not going to help them and could very well hurt them, which it did. And and it was clear that Pelosi was willing to sacrifice her speakership for the legacy of government run healthcare. And, and I think that that we're back in that situation again, Schumer, the, the difference being that Schumer is under intense pressure to stay left because of this potential primary problem with AOC and Pelosi has basically said to hell with it. I'm going to be gone soon anyway. Yeah. So we're so going to do this. If I make my members walk the plank. Yeah. The, so and that's it. exactly the ad that we ran in the Hill newspaper in 2009 mm-hmm. is that Pelosi's making you walk the plank and sure enough, they lost, you know, 60 some seats. So the, I do agree that they'll, they're not going to give up. There will be something. But, but it's it's just going to be a huge bloodbath for them in November, uh, with the combination of redistricting and all these people casting a vote that they have no business that the American right. people will just repel from. Yeah, I mean, it just, I, you know, I, I don't know. It just, I sometimes I just shake my head and I think, what in the world is going on? <laughs> we don't learn. Well- you know, and, and that's where I think that, uh, you know, and I, I think of the great work uh, that some of our nation's governors have have, have done. And I, I'm going to put Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis, Governor Ducey. Uh, I, I, I have high hopes. I think Governor Youngkin elect will, will do a great job in Virginia. Uh, th- these they know how to govern and they've governed successfully, you know, States that are flush with cash, good policies, people moving in, dynamic, diverse economies. And, and I think the governing part is, is going to be very, very important in Washington, D.C. And this is where I'm going with this. Is I, I know this is probably something I shouldn't say given the current construction of the Senate. But, and, and 25 years ago, this would have been fighting words. Sure. Blow up the filibuster. I, I'm, I'm ready to go 2024. All the marbles, AOC and Bernie win. Country's over. Yeah, we tried. Well, I mean, they're not going to win. Right. But Republicans win. We're we're going less taxes, less regulations, good trade policy, sensible immigration with border security. We're we're going for broke. That that's how I look at it right now. Let's not. There are stark differences, but. I have faith in the American people and I have faith in the American people for a simple reason. Look at the Wall Street Journal graph. People are moving to the states with the policies that the three of us have championed our entire life. Right. Life. And they're fleeing the states that are more autocratic. And 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 I don't see that trend changing. If anything, it's probably going to accelerate. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally, totally agree. agree. Well, and I, it, so well, let's go for it all. Agree on something. Um, well, I don't know if I agree on blowing up the filibuster. Well, but, but, I'm but, not there yet. But they, I mean, but this it's is, a great. But it's a good point. Well, it's it a good is, point. and that's the point that Cinema has made: is do you really want to blow up the filibuster over this when you give President DeSantis or you know whatever and and a House and a Senate to do whatever they want with 51 votes? Um, I mean. You know, Harry pa- Harry Reid passed away this last week. This last week at the end of the year, um, his legacy is a Supreme Court that is six justices appointed by Republicans and three by Democrat. I mean, that's that's his legacy because he blew up the filibuster on the judicial nominees. Yeah, and then Republicans were able to use that to get their picks on the court. So I I'm with you, Glenn. I think that if they blow it up, okay. We'll play that game because it's going to, in, in the long run, it's going to help freedom because you're exactly right. The, the American people are going to vote with their feet and they're going to vote in a way that, that this, is, this remains a center-right country, regardless yeah. of what Chuck Schumer and AOC 
try to claim and Nancy Pelosi. And, and, and I'll say this. Ideally, things do move with bipartisan majorities. I do think that that is is a better situation for the country. I've heard Senator Kyle say it's it's a good thing uh, for the durability of laws if the other side, the minority party, has a stake. Maybe it's yeah. 20 or 30 percent. But I think of a lot of the things I worked on uh, when I was with Senator Kyle, uh, there was bipartisan support and they've endured. And there isn't a lot of uh, rumblings that these things should be wiped out. So I, I would always prefer to have a bipartisan vote on big issues. But the difficulty of governing the country and the migration under Republican and Democratic administrations to executive power, in part because it is tough to get that 51st vote in the Senate or 60th, is 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 something where I personally have come to the Bob Rob point. Uh, let's let's put it all on the line. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The executive the executive power has been way way too expanded. It yeah, started that is well. True. It started I don't know probably under Nixon to some degree, less so with Reagan, definitely with with uh, the Clinton Obama and Bush and Obama yeah. and even Trump and now Biden. I mean, yeah. it's it's we've got to figure out ways to pull that that power back because it's it's not the way the Constitution, the founders, you know, envisioned this. Under yeah, but the so much of it also is is, you know, the Congress exercising their power and, and, and their duty to do their job. I mean, they, they leave so much of the governing up to the executive branch. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's because they don't want to make the hard decisions. They don't want to make the hard decisions and then have to run on those decisions. And that's unfortunate. Well, well, even spending bills, you know, just yeah, doing these. That's what I'm talking about. Bills. You know, in the olden days, appropriation bills, they were a great way for the right and the left to check an administration yep. and to get good priorities. And I'm not talking about earmarks. I'm talking about just good good old-fashioned governing and, and oversight and those the it's it's sort of a lost art so again i i you know when i when i talk about the filibuster i for the country to really be healthy we do need to get back where 60 percent you know we're, we're passing ideally major bills with with a bipartisan healthy majority but you know i am becoming more and more concerned that the country is so divided that some of these things that are popping up, particularly during this current administration, uh, may be difficult to unravel with 60 votes. Yeah. Well, and, and what, what you're talking about, especially with regard to BBB or Build Back Broke, is the fact that there are no Republican votes on the other side. They've, they've held fast. And, and secretly, what we've talked about on this show, and I think some people are beginning to, to, to recognize is You've got about six or to nine senators in the background saying no, and and are really pleased that Cinema and Mansion are taking the slings and arrows for them, and so even if even if you know, and so that's why this vote, if it were to take place, if the as as the with the bill as written, is so dangerous for for the so called majority. Well, well, Chris, and, and and your point is really important. I mean, these are profiles in cowardice, you know. Oh Manchin, my gosh, absolutely. Mansion and Cinema have stepped up. It's gutsy. It's courageous. I mean, Mansion has been harassed. I mean, Cinema has been uh, followed into the into the restroom for God's sakes. You know, where where are the others? And and what also concerns me is I think in the House and the Senate, uh, the men and women who serve in those positions they miniaturize themselves. You know, I think about when we were, you know, getting involved in politics. These were these were name brands. These were Republicans or Democrats. I would get starstruck with the members. Now, how, how do you admire or get starstruck by someone who's hiding under their desk and saying, "Okay, has has Senator Manchin stopped this bill? Has Senator right. Cinema stopped this bill?" I mean, what what what's the point? We're the greatest yeah. country that's ever existed. Do your freaking job. Yeah, like exactly. so many Americans. Hammer. Do, Laying down the hammer. hammer. Laying it down. Do your well, job. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you this in a roundabout way, but you kind of gave me a good segue. And that is, listen, I, I was a, a bit of a fan of Ted Cruz. Not really. 
But I don't know of any other senator that has challenged this administration the way your senator has in, in, in a way that's, that's actually been, been good. Yeah. I mean, uh, on the committee hearings and, and, and drawing out, you know, really stark differences between both parties. I think Ted Cruz has really stepped up the last year. Well, Senator Cruz is a brilliant lawyer and on on a number of the elements in the the five trillion dollar package, he's probably been the most effective Republican in tearing them down uh, piece by piece, particularly on the energy side. Uh, But I'll also say uh, I'm a huge fan of our senior senator, Senator John Cornyn. Yeah, he's 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 a senator, senator. He was AG. He was on the state Supreme Court. he really knows his stuff as well. And in addition to being able to really go after the administration policies that have been horrifically executed, like uh, border security, uh, Senator uh, uh, Cornyn does a great job working with Democrats, such as Senator Sinema, on good bipartisan solutions. So I, 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 I hold both of the Texas United States senators in, in high regard. It's been a very, yeah, great senators. Um, well, God bless so, Texas. Yeah. Hey, Glenn, I, we can't thank you enough for, for being here. We, On uh, we, <laughs> God bless Texas. <laughs> God Let's bless go. Texas. Um, but our time is up and so we're going to definitely have to have you back and hopefully you hopefully can get person. to, yeah, get to Phoenix and do this in person and Would we'll do to. some reveling in the, uh, the olden days and talk about what's, what else is going on in Texas and across the country. But but, um, Texas um, is lucky to have you. We're we, sorry to have you not here anymore. We were lucky to have you yeah, here we were, for the years we that we did. And Arizona is a changed state because of your leadership. No question. So, no question. You know, thank thank you. you so much. And we appreciate yep. your friendship um, uh, more than you know. So uh, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. And uh, just remember, Glenn, that this podcast was founded on the ideas of faith, freedom, and free enterprise, which are the founding ideals of our great country. Yeah. And if you want to follow Glenn, he's got a great Great Twitter feed. Um, wait, well, I just lost it. Glenn, Glenn, how, can, Glenn how can we follow you? At Glenn Hammer. At Glenn Hammer. That's, That's two N's and one M. And you're two active. N's and one M. And you're active on LinkedIn, too. And yeah. um, thanks so much again for coming on. And God thank bless you. you. Have thanks a great one. Thanks, everybody. Take care.